Romans chapter 8, we will literally start at about verse 17. The theme this morning is groaning, then glory. So I like the last part, I don't like the first. But they come in that order. Groaning and then glory. I first thought about just saying the word groaning, groaning, and then let all of you groan. I know you're good at it. Aren't we all? A few weeks back in Romans chapter 7, we confronted the problem, or saw the problem set forth concerning human nature. Uh, we're, we're in captivity to the power of sin. And that sin operates in our fallen nature, even as believers. Um, we're, we're dealing with that. As Christians, we are no longer literally in captivity, but uh, we face that, the power of sin. And in ourselves, we have no ability to be delivered. He says, oh, who will deliver us? He's, he's writing as a believer, verse 24. And then he comes to a glorious conclusion that the only hope was and is today Jesus Christ. God has brought deliverance to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. I refuse to get into the debate as to who Paul was speaking about in chapter 7, other than to us. Oh, he was really talking about Paul, whatever. It doesn't matter. We face this. We face the struggle of having to deal with our sin nature in a fallen world, and sin is a powerful enemy, and in ourselves, we can't win. And so, to a great extent, this is a message to those who are trying to win spiritual battles by pulling up their bootstraps, by doing good deeds, by keeping the law, and all of those kinds of things. And those kinds of things are set forth in chapter 7. At the end of the day, the answer is only Jesus Christ. So then, Romans 8 begins with the great good news that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. One translation says there is no doom. I like that. That's good news, as well as no condemnation. In verses 5 through 17, we found good words from God that those who are in Christ Jesus are not only no longer under condemnation, but also no longer dominated by a carnal mind. We now have a spiritual mind. And that's a wonderful passage there, and we need to meditate often and tell ourselves the truth, that in Christ we're no longer doomed to failure, to the bondage of sin, to any spirit of condemnation, and we're no longer bound by a carnal, fleshly mind. We now have, in fact, the mind of Christ. And so we're exhorted, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
So in chapter 8, verse 17, the Holy Spirit moves Paul's pen to bring up this word suffering. When you read the verses that were read just a few moments ago, verse 17 through 28, you can look down through there and say, this is really encouraging, except for that one concept. You, you had to throw in that phrase about suffering. That's reality. And there's a sequence here. We are, ident- we are to identify with Christ in his suffering, and suffering first in glory. Oh, by the way, isn't that what took place in his life in his earthly venture down here? Suffering and then glory. In context, the Holy Spirit is moving the Apostle Paul to primarily speak about suffering from our identification with Christ, which is suffering persecution for his namesake. But we can see that there are a a lot of applications, a lot of scenarios in which the issue of suffering comes up. And he will continue in the chapter to say, but it doesn't matter. Uh, He asks a rhetorical question, which means the answer is, when he asks the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one, nothing. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, Regardless of the source of suffering, we're not held captive by that. We're not destroyed by that. Glory is coming. Now, you may have picked up that three times in the verses that were read, the concept of groaning was brought up. And so we will look at that. First of all, in verses 18 through 22, the whole creation groans. There is suffering for Christ's sake, but there is also suffering as the consequences of sin. And that suffering not only affects us, but it affects all of creation. Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God, the glory which shall be revealed in us. This is so great that God says that the whole creation is looking forward to it. The grand total of all creation and some way that God can accomplish. We don't have to worry about that. All animate, all inanimate being substance, they're all looking forward to redemption. I like the Phillips paraphrase. The whole creation is standing on tiptoe, eagerly awaiting the revelation of the sons of God. That'd be a good position for us to take. Yes, we live in, a, in the valley in the shadow of death and we live in the midst of suffering, but we ought to be living on tiptoe because glory is coming. In verses 20 and 21 in chapter 8, it reveals why the Holy Spirit has made this statement. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. All things that have happened 
and that are happening on the earth is because of God's sovereign doings that are full of his wisdom. The whole creation groans as a result of Adam's sin. And it is cursed and in agony. And surely, especially with all the kinds of media we have, have you, have you not looked at the groaning of creation and hasn't it touched you? It's incredible the suffering that creation goes through. Well, if I was God, I wouldn't allow that. If God was... No, 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 no. You're forgetting something. All of that is a result of the consequences of sin. Our sin has brought about this incredible suffering to the whole planet. Again, verse 21, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The whole creation looks forward to the liberty it will enjoy when believers enter into their glory. Again, verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains, birth pangs together to now. It's groaning, waiting for a new day. Isaiah 65, 55, put it this way. The prophet Isaiah declared, The desert will bloom like a rose. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. And nothing will hurt or destroy in all of God's holy mountain. Glory is coming. Well, I don't understand how that can be. Forget you. Just rejoice in what God has said. God is able to do that. And much more. Let's rejoice in what God has said. Creation groans. But someday they will be delivered from the bondage of corruption when the sons of God enter into their glory. Now, verse 23 through 25, the believer groans. Verse 23, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. You say, well, don't unbelievers groan? Oh, I'm sure they do. But there's no hope. There's no glory coming. Unless you're in Christ. Personally, we may be suffering because of consequences. We also suffer just because we live in a fallen world. We suffer from disease in our bodies. We, we grieve as we watch friends and loved ones suffer. There was a pastor named Richard L. Strauss who wrote some years ago, I groaned in my spirit when I learned that I had multiple myeloma. I groaned in my spirit at the discomfort I experienced. I have groaned in my spirit over the chemotherapy which doctors have administered, which at times can be worse than the disease. 
I've groaned in my spirit when I've talked to other myeloma patients whose disease was more advanced than mine and who were suffering severe pain more than I. When I was going over this, I thought of two precious men. Some of you knew them, Bob Channon and Ben Williams. We didn't know Ben Williams, but Bob met him while in consultation at Vanderbilt concerning his cancer. Ben was also a cancer patient. That led to fellowship in the gospel. That led to Ben being uh, in our men's meeting. He was a blessing, blessing in our Saturday morning's men's meeting. And uh, in the early days, Bob was going down, going downhill with the cancer quicker and faster than Ben. And looking back, there were so many times you could see the caring of Ben toward Bob. And this whole body, even though neither one of them attended church services here on Sundays. And uh, as time went on, I remember Bob got to where he couldn't come to the men's meeting, even in a wheelchair. So some of the men, Brother Jack included, I still, I fussed at Jack for this. <laughs> to get to where Bob said upstairs, the steps are kind of like this. Jack, you have no business climbing those steps. Well, God took care of him as he was focused in on ministering to his brothers. But Ben was ministering right unto the last. And then Bob went on to be with the Lord. Ben was a part of the those who told the story of God's blessings through Bob's life. And, and then Ben sort of went alone. Well, not alone. He had brothers and sisters. But all were groaning. And unfortunately, I made Ben groan. It wasn't too long before he died. He felt well enough on a particular day to go golfing. So we're going to golf nine holes. He thought he had strength for that. We were on the eighth hole, and I hit a ball sort of in the fairway. And about the width of this building, uh, I was, I was close, that close to a ditch. And I hit my ball, second ball, across the ditch. And I looked, and there was about a two-foot drop into the ditch. And there was flat rock. I can do this. I'm not going to go way around. And Ben's over there saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. I can do it. I did it. I landed flat on my feet and lost my balance and crash. I had all kinds of marks on my head. Had to go to the emergency room, all this kind of stuff. And there was Ben having to groan for his friend's sake who didn't have sense enough to listen to wisdom. We live in a fallen world. We groan. 
pastor brother said, I understand a little of what Paul was saying. I'm thankful that there is more to my adoption into God's family than what I have experienced thus far. I'm eagerly anticipating the day when my adoption will be culminated, when my body will be completely and finally liberated from the effects of sin and death. I'll be free from pain. I'll have a perfect body, no weakness, no blemishes, no defects. I'll have an exalted position in my heavenly home near my precious Savior. All the riches of heaven will be mine to enjoy forever. That will be glory. My groaning will be turned to glory. What a wonderful hope. My groaning turned to glory. And so he said in verse 24 and 25, we are saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. Why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. The hope of the Christian is not a wish. It's an assurance. A grand assurance. An anchor for the soul. As Hebrews says, or maybe this is from a hymn, sure and steadfast. I think Hebrews said that in Hebrews 9, chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. And so we press forward with our eyes on our hope. We press forward with courage and endurance, triumphant in the midst of trials. The assurance of future glory is profound motivation to live triumphantly now. Creation groans, but someday it will have glory. The believer groans, but someday will experience glory. Creation is on tiptoe, waiting for that day. Good position for us to be in. Well, but the Holy Spirit groans. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Have you noticed that in the midst of the storms of life and the sufferings of life and watching creation groan and we ourselves groaning and groaning for those who around us are hurting, we often don't know what to pray. Don't know how to pray. Oh, sure, we 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 are quick to give God a lot of suggestions. We have a lot of advice for God on how He should fix things for us. But let me ask you this: Have you ever asked for something? Asked to be spared from something? And you weren't spared, and it turned out to be good. And some of those things that we were so sure were good for us, we got them, they turned out to be bad. 
I don't know who said this, but he says, if we have a friend, we have, in Christ, we have a friend who knows exactly what we need. And he lives in our hearts. He is with us all the time. And since he is the Spirit of God, he is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows the future. He knows what will turn out to be best. And he prays for exactly the right thing. The Holy Spirit prays for you every day, and he always prays for you exactly the right thing. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that encouraging? It may be different from what we're praying. But it is a prayer that will be answered because it is what is best. Verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. There's never any doubt but that his prayers are according to the will of the Father. William Hendrickson, who wrote a lot of good commentaries, wrote one on Romans. And in that, he tells a story about a pastor who was loved by the congregation where he served and became grievously ill. And the congregation, of course, said, Lord, please restore him to health. But he was not restored to health. He died. And at the funeral, a visiting pastor who was speaking, who had been a longtime friend of the deceased pastor, said this to the grieving congregation. Perhaps some of you are in danger of arriving at the conclusion that the Heavenly Father did not hear your prayer. He does indeed hear your prayer. But in this particular case, two prayers were probably being prayed. You were praying, oh God, spare his life. We need him so badly. Now, if it's a Baptist church, there may have been some praying, Lord, let him go. (laughs) That's okay. But in this case, the pastor said, the congregation, they loved the pastor. The pastor, it was a wonderful relationship. Spare his life, we need him so. The pastor surmised that the Holy Spirit's unspoken prayer could have read like this. Take him away. For the congregation is leaning altogether too heavily on him and not on thee. And the father heard that prayer. We may not know in this life how all that works out, but just know, rest in this. The Holy Spirit prays according to the good will, the good pleasure of God. He's always right in his prayer. We pray for things we think they're best. God does the opposite. 
You say, I can imagine God doing this. Well, you don't have to imagine. You can just know. We, we, we don't live in a world of chance. We don't live in a world of luck. We don't live in a world where, oh, I'm sorry, uh, folks, I, I was busy counting the hairs of a curly-headed little fellow who would just been born, and I didn't know that happened. I'll make it up to you next time. No, God knows. He doesn't miss anything. And the Father is busy answering the Holy Spirit's prayer. You remember King David? Had some big sin in his life. Part of the judgment. He was he repented, he was forgiven, but there were still consequences, and this little baby is dying. And David is praying, pleading for God to spare his life. And then when the baby dies, he washes up, cleans himself up, and goes and starts worshiping the Lord. And people don't understand that. We could say that David understood the prayer of that pastor. We're praying one thing. God is praying something else, and what God prayed is what happened. So now what should we do? Mourn, weep, spend the rest of our life morose, sad. No, we should wash our faces, get up and worship and serve the Lord. You don't have to be bond in bondage. You must not. We must not be in bondage to things that didn't turn out the way we would have preferred them to turn out. Except the will of God. We say we believe in the sovereignty of God, the good sovereignty of God, who does all of his good pleasure. God allows us and God brings into our world situations where we have our faith tested. And we have an opportunity to worship not because from our perspective something good happened, but because from God's perspective something happened that was according to God's good pleasure. We don't understand it, but we worship him and we trust him. So, Lord, you only do that which is good. So I'm going to worship you. I'm going to, what was it? I was thinking about this this morning. I forgot to look it up. Wasn't it Ezekiel that after his wife died, and maybe two weeks later, he got up and went and served the Lord. And many of you, you've had, whether it's a loved one that died or what, we have these kinds of things. It happens in a fallen world. And we have to make those choices. And the message this morning is, you have, a, you have one who's praying for you and in his prayers. You've been encouraged because you saw that Jesus wept. The Holy Spirit groans on your behalf, praying for you, praying for us, making intercession for us. And so is Jesus in Romans 8.34 and Hebrews 7.25. Now, notice in verse 16, this is important, especially for our day, that these, this prayer is unutterable. It's not, it's not spoken. 
Many people go to this passage and try to justify praying in tongues. Oh, I'm, I'm just praying in tongues. The Holy, um, Holy Spirit's really all over this. this is, uh, that's what the Bible says. He, uh, he, this, this gibberish, of course they don't call it gibberish, but that, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. I want to say this as kindly as I can. That's a deception. That's a lie. This is the Holy Spirit praying, and it is unutterable. Something between God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's praying. It's not expressed with words. It has nothing to do with the moving of any human's tongue. The Father hears and answers his prayers, even though not a word is uttered. The Father understands the Holy Spirit's unspoken groanings. And he answers them. Hallelujah. What a prayer partner. Christian, you're destined for glory. But groaning comes first. You're destined for indescribable brilliance and beauty, perfect holiness and sinlessness, exalted position and power, unlimited joy and happiness, Christ-likeness. You're destined for glory. And as 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Right now, let us live in the light of what shall be. It's not wishful thinking. It's a solid rock foundation. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's no hope for you. If you never trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is no hope for you that you will ever come to glory. There'll be no glory. No matter how bad the groaning is now, read all the things in the scripture that primarily the Lord Jesus Christ speaks about the eternal groaning, suffering, anguish, and hell for those who do not receive the Lord Jesus Christ. The groaning intensifies. Jesus spoke of a place where there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth for eternity. That's a description of indescribable pain and suffering, and it's for those who never repent and believe. And we need to understand something else. In many places all over the land, and I can remember a day when it was this way here. At the end of the service, the pastor, the evangelist, would be pleading and begging for people to come. You say, well, shouldn't you care for souls? Yes. But God is not pleading. He's commanding. Acts 17.30 
the times of past foolishness he's winked at, he now commands all people everywhere to repent. If you're outside of Christ, the word of God to you is repent. Turn from yourself. Turn from trusting yourself. Turn from trying to save yourself by the law. Romans 7. Flee to Christ. Behold the Lamb of God. Be like those in Israel's day in Moses when and there, the poison is on the inside and, and the provision is on the outside. A, a brass serpent lifted up. And those who would look, they would by that looking be acknowledging that they could not save themselves from their death and from the judgment of their sin. And their provision was outside of themselves in what God had provided. And Jesus said, if the son of, if, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. And he was lifted up. Behold the Lamb. Turn from yourself. Flee to Christ. That's not a begging. God is commanding. And to leave this earth not heeding that command. The groaning will be indescribable for all eternity. Our Father, we bless you for the warning of this passage. We bless you for the grand comfort of this passage. May our hearts be broken. We, we live in a time when people are filled with so much sympathy over animals. And their concern is, will my pet go to heaven? Rather than being brokenhearted, they too are suffering because of our sin. The whole world groans. Oh God, how horrible sin is. And how horrible is the depth it has gotten into our own souls. And hallelujah, Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, the only and the all-sufficient solution. And those who flee to him are, their sins are forgiven. There's no more condemnation. They have a new heart, a new nature. They're no longer enslaved to the works of the flesh, but walking in the Spirit. And we're facing up to the reality of the groaning of the world and the groaning in our own souls and Hallelujah, the groaning of the Holy Spirit on behalf of the Lord's redeemed children. Have your own way in every heart here today. May those outside of Christ hear the word of the Lord. Repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And this we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.